Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, um, and it's a day that I was not sure would ever come. Um, I am here with Michael, and we are, now who knows if this will actually end up being that, because maybe maybe things just go in a direction I, I didn't expect, and uh, this isn't the case, but we think this is the case. That we are recording our final winging it session on the life of Luther for the Life of Luther series, which will make this. This is not a great number to end on, probably, but session sixty-six. <laughs> I think we were hoping for like a seventy, yeah. seventy-five, whatever. Um, but we have covered the controversies that led up to the formula of Concord. And the parties that develop, the Gnaeser Lutherans and the Philippus. So we've kind of filled that gap from Luther's death to the formula. Um, the formula of Concord is the sixth and final, unless we write a new one, <laughs> the sixth and final Lutheran confession. Um, and, I thought uh, this, we believe, was a yeah, confessional it, status. In a brief statement. <laughs> no? Okay. The, um, and... Uh, that probably deserves its own few episodes or its own series, yep, um, some yep, sessions. Yep. And so that'll be something we'll, we'll tackle down the line. We need to figure out our next Winging It series. Yeah. And, and by the time... The probably book, something shorter next time. The Book of Conquer comes out, Luther's, Luther's been gone for decades. Right. Yeah. And, and you really... It's less Luther's legacy and more the second ger- generation yep. um, solidifying what it is to be... Um, uh, Lutheran churches, um, these Landeskirchen that are developing, these territorial churches. Um, so, <clears throat> part 66, session 66 of the life of Luther um, and the life after Luther as we've been doing it. And I think what we want to do today um, as we wrap stuff up is maybe uh, not exactly go back to where we began, but in a sense do that in that um, to discuss why did we do this series? Um, why does uh, does Luther matter still today? Why does he matter? Um, what is the place of Luther in the Lutheran Church today? And is the great and the greater church. Yeah, you know? is there too much Luther? Is there not enough? Um, Luther uh, is not probably going to be canonized in the Roman Catholic Church, but he has definitely left his own imprint there. Uh, we'll probably hit on. Um, a lot of what you see in a modern Roman Catholic Novus Ordo Mass um, followed suggestions that Luther had made um, much earlier. In fact, one of them that uh, I still don't like that I think you do like, Mike, which is the the altar being pushed forward. Hmm. I like the odd orient. I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of oh, that. Oh, you're not? Okay. Who is? What? Maybe it was John. Yeah. Someone like that. Um, but mass is in the vernacular, um, and, uh, and a lot of things, uh, emphasis on preaching, um, where he has left his, his imprint. And so kind of, we just want to hit on again, as we've now done all these sessions, why Luther, uh, Mike, you still plan on teaching the Luther, of course you have it in the fall, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm still planning on taking my turn. We might even give Jason a turn Mm -hmm. we've talked about, um. And that course, I would correct me if I'm wrong, maybe fills up 
<laughs> most quickly of any of our theology offerings, no have, matter who teaches it. I got one spot left. I'm not filled up. So Well, you filled, and then that spot must have reopened. Uh, I think I was always short a little bit. Well, I thought that filled Now up. that we offer it every semester. You know what filled really quick this semester for you was world. I world religions on a waiting list, which is weird yeah. and going to be very disappointing for the students since <laughs> I have not ever taught that before. Well, let's say Luther historically fills up very quickly. Absolutely, yeah. And we even had in the Luther year uh, a semester where we did two sections yeah. and <clears throat> both filled and there was a wait list. Um, and it fills not just with lifelong Wisconsin Synod or Lutheran no. Church, Missouri Synod members, but often with students who don't come from Lutheranism, but they're curious <laughs> about this guy. Yeah. And you definitely you get the the good, the bad, the ugly of it, but... Mm -hmm. Why does a course like that still fill? Um, and it's not an easy course. We expect no. a lot. Yeah, it, um, it's probably one of the more reading and writing courses um, in the department. And, uh, and so why Luther, as we're wrapping our concluding thoughts? Maybe, are you sick of him at this mm -hmm. point, Mike? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go ahead and, and the, this series continuing on has been a gift to you. Yeah. From the Reverend Dr. Um, Michael Berg. It's not that I was burnt out on it. I just kept thinking like, oh, we got it a point. Like we're going to wrap it up. And Mike's like, actually, we should do this, this, this still. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, that's the thing with Luther is we could go on. Yeah. Um, it's the, the, the additions, the volumes of Luther's works are still coming out right. Right. all these years later. Um, there's always more. Um, but this is where we've kind of decided to draw the line. Um, but you sick of them? Is there more you would have liked to do? What um, are you glad we did the series? Eh, um, anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I think I think it's a good a good spot. I think we were thorough enough without being without being like a uh, who's that guy that does the uh, history one on World War One? Oh, uh, um, oh, that's a good that's a good podcast yeah. too. But yeah, it goes. It's like. Every I got it. single detail of every single like what color the fourth tank in the line. Is. <laughs> yeah, so I think we we had a we had a good good something history. There. Yeah, Not hardcore history. Yeah, yeah, hardcore history. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, I, I think what as I look back, Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin. That's right. Um, as I look back, I think one also look forward. Right? Why does Luther matter? And does he matter today? And I, I'd start off with this, that um, when you get out of your little bubble of your own denomination, right? And for our case, uh, uh, this Lutheran denomination. Although probably one of the least bubbled denominations <laughs> yeah. around, right? Um, you start to realize that Luther really is a doctor of the church, of the whole church, right? And, and we've talked about this before. In fact, our last episode, we made a big deal about when you read, Lu when you read Lutheranism, when you say Lutheranism or read Lutheranism, what you should really be thinking is the 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 church, right? This is they didn't. We got kicked out. And it, I really would recommend the episode that just came out. I'm hoping to get this out. This is Wednesday, May 25th. I'm hoping to get this out. Um, I would say tonight, but Benno's is closing, and I may <laughs> be going out with Peter. You did not reply to us. I, I am unable to. So. Maybe we'll have to reschedule if there's a night that yeah. works for us all. But um, I'm hoping tonight or tomorrow to get this sure. out. But we just, it would have come out on Tuesday the 24th. Yeah. The guys get Catholic. Yeah. 
Um, and we hit on some of what I think yeah. you're about to get at there. So trying to maintain what the church painstakingly didn't have to do this. Say we're in the direct line of, of, of the church, which was completely different than uh, more of a radical reformation, which said, blow the whole thing up. We're starting something new. Mm-hmm. That was a big no, no for, for them. So when you fast forward today, Luther still maintains uh, being a doctor of the church. So uh, a Joseph Ratzinger, you may know him as Benedict the Sixteenth, um, kind of a Luther scholar in his own right, yeah, and quotes Luther favorably. Um, go, having gone to an evangelical school uh, for grad work, uh, Luther was quoted as often as Calvin or anybody else. Um, we don't do that. Like we we very rarely, even though Calvin said, I mean, awesome things sometimes. We very very rarely would quote. Uh, a John Calvin, right? But for for the church as a whole, Luther has something to say. Much like Augustine is claimed by and Augustine and Roman both of them by Roman Catholics, um, by Reformed evangelicals. We should see how Luther's. far we can take that both of them thing. And <laughs> yeah, like listeners who are listening right now will know what we're doing. But like otherwise, people? we should just start saying both of them and see how many people are like. Who's the other, yeah. the other Augustine that they're talking there, about? There are multiple. There are options, yes, yeah. Are. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, and I don't think we in our own bubble realize that, that Luther really isn't this parochial. Or, or somebody says, oh, you guys just talk about, you go, you guys worship Luther or whatever. Like, you have to understand that, that Luther really is that universal, right? S- certainly... Um, um, also a controversial figure, right? And Luther is controversial because some of the things he said, um, in, in from a secular point of view in history, think of uh, his writings on, on the Jews and all that. Uh, he, he, he is a dominant figure in history and in the church. He's truly a theologian and a doctor of the church. And the more I think about Lutheranism's role in the contemporary church scene and in the world, um, Lutheranism does provide that as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we don't do well, right? We're, we're not opening up missions as fast as, um, you know, the, the, the Baptists. Um, we're probably not writing big tomes, as we said before, like on natural law and ethics, like some of the Roman Catholics do. But you and I have some nice 100-page, very digestible books on yeah, that's right. on ethics. Um, and sometimes... I would like to make a motion that we begin referring to our books as tomes. Tomes, okay. Wasn't Let's, Leo's tome isn't that long, and he go. got to... What, Leo the Great. We'll have to think about what the minimum page is for that. I think we should make it whatever our shortest book is. Yeah. Um, and, and I do believe that Lutheranism is can be an anchor in the church, much like the Luther was and is today in, in, a, in an academic sense. This narrow Lutheran middle road... Uh, We've talked about how this was a, a largely a university reformation, the Lutheran Reformation, uh, very much about not just the university and academia, but schooling, um, uh, especially in America. Um, and that's partly just because of the, the different uh, ethnicities that were coming over and the, the language differences. You don't see a whole lot of Baptist uh, parochial schools, but you see that in right. Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism. Um there's pedagogy, hymnody, art. I mean, there, there's a lot of influences that Johann Sebastian Bach, right? 
there's a lot of influences from the Lutheran Church, even though it is small in numbers. And I think that we should own that rather than being um, self-hatred, self-hating, or embarrassed by our not large numbers, right? That Lutheranism, what we do well, I think is uh, balancing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, trying to maintain what the scripture says and not trying to pigeonhole it into scholastic categories, nor letting reason trump um, uh, a doctrine, which can be true, especially in, in, in the evangelical world. Uh, and I, I think that it becomes an anchor. And what I mean by an anchor is not allowing the church to go, the different denominations to go too far afield, yep, yep. right? And maybe, you know, yes, we do. Of course, we do mission work. Yes, we baptize, uh, make disciples of all nations by baptizing. Yes, we want to grow all those things. But I think there's there's something to be said about this is what we do will do well, and it's a service for the church at large. Mm-hmm. And to be satisfied with maybe not the biggest numbers. Now, don't take that the wrong way, because there's reasons why the church does not grow, particularly the Lutheran church, that are not because, oh, the world hates us or the devil's at work, but primarily because we're lazy and stupid and stubborn. Right. I'm not excusing, I'm excusing that. And I'll say this very bluntly and maybe get in trouble. I like when Michael gets blunt. That there are a lot of threats to the church today, but at the top of the list is lazy pastors, yeah. academically lazy and just flat out lazy. Or um, poorly catechized lay leadership. Yeah. So shame on us. But at the same time, I don't think we jettison what we do well. Catechesis, uh, middle road when it comes to worship, art, um, maintaining the paradoxes, a sacramental theology that at the same time strongly emphasizes preaching. Yep. Uh, 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 we don't separate altar. Yeah. Well, we do, but we ought not yeah. separate altar and pulpit. An incarnational, thus sacramental, vocational thus emphasis. word, vocation for crying out loud. Do that well, and it will affect the larger church. And we see that um, even if we're not going to the pastors coffee group every you know first monday of the for like the community yeah oh the ecumenical one. yeah the ecumenical i'm really glad i never went to that (laughs) stuff um did you ever go no no uh we didn't i was the only guy in town so oh okay i just have coffee by myself you just hosted it by yourself yeah um i invited everybody but nobody came because there was nobody to invite yeah there was like a methodist guy that lived in like drove an hour to serve this small group of people anyway um so when I look back at Luther, let me just repeat, a true doctor of the church for the whole church. And I think if you want to go, you're talking Paul, Augustine, Luther, right? If we're going to carry on these great, big, big, big I would say the Roman Catholics are throwing Aquinas, yeah. but... Um, yeah, and I, and I would be okay with that. Right. But I mean, otherwise, just, I don't yeah. think everybody else would rival. Yeah. No. Um, you're a big... And... and Paul, Augustine, and, and Luther are very similar in their right. bill off each other. Aquinas is a little bit different, but, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and that the Lutheran church maintains that identity, even when we try to fight against that identity, trying to, like, jettison the name Lutheran, right. 
um, trying to trying to take uh, 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 replicate the successful churches and you know best business practices kind of of mega churches that kind of thing yeah or in the ecumenical movement in in kind of a mainline liberal denomination I think we still cannot help but be Lutheran and that it affects the church in a very positive way right. And I think we should own that, not brag about it, but own it as this line from Jesus, Paul, through the, through the early fathers down here, accepting that it's ugly sometimes and that there's things that are wrong. We reform, we don't rebel, yeah. right? And I, I wonder if, if people really kind of stepped out of their little, little bubble and, and realized that much of the Luther scholarship that's going on right now is carried on by people who are not Lutherans and um, are very appreciative of Lutheran stance, of Luther's stance, of Luther's uh, academic chops, of his exegesis, of what he accomplished while being critical. Um, Yeah, a couple things. No, I I think, I mean, you hit on a good point. There is an impulse, especially among American Lutherans, which I think is unfortunate, you know, kind of what's the difference between American Lutherans and, and Esau is that Esau at least had to be kind of tricked into giving away his birthright. Um, there has been, I would say, in the in the 20th century especially and in the second half of it, this strong like impulse to, to try to give away the birthright. And God in his grace um, has still uh, kept um, a fair amount of the good stuff here for us um but uh but the gospel is a passing rain shower right we don't want to take it for granted but to build a little bit off what you were saying um i think another fascinating thing about luther and thus about the lutheran church um is he is of interest to all uh within the church at least whether that be the roman catholic apologist who still feels the need to respond to him Mm -hmm. Or whether that be a Benedict who can kind of troll Lutheranism by, I believe, he went to the Luther lands and offered an indulgence, mm-hmm. but can also speak very highly of some of Luther's writings and the Augsburg Confession. Francis has done similar. Um, and and Benedict knows enough to know that oh, yeah. the Lutheran World Federation is hardly Lutheran. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, or whether it be evangelicals who look to Luther, um, Scripture alone, justification that not always comprehending all of it um or lutherans who look to luther but the interesting thing to me about luther and so the lutheran church when it's i would say at its best from my view um and i would say even by how i look to luther is that while i can become very familiar with parts of luther there's always parts of luther that remain very foreign to me um so even in our synod or I would say even in the former synodical conference. So we'll throw Missouri and the ELS in there. Um, there's things we look to Luther and emphasize a lot, while other things that, um, because maybe we haven't had controversies over those, um, maybe they haven't been distinctives that we needed to emphasize in our situation, <clears throat> we can still find stuff and you read and you go, that's a Luther I didn't, I didn't get or I didn't realize. Um, 
you can have people who are non-Christian studying Luther who really see a medieval or a modern Luther. Um, and uh, there can be a lot of Luther that seems uh, foreign then because uh, then they'll, if they emphasize the modern Luther, they'll read something where Luther is very medieval. Or if they emphasize the medieval Luther, they'll read something and Luther sounds like he's talking today. Um, and this, I think, gets to part of the balance that you're you're getting at. Um, and the sad thing to me, but also a thing that makes me hopeful, is that when Lutherans are um, in some ways reflecting the spirit of Luther, I mean this in a positive way, I don't mean everything about Luther, but the way at which he went to the Word and he held to Christ, um, and he appreciated the tradition of the Church while recognizing that the traditions of men can err, um, is that the Lutheran Church ought to be something that, that people from other groups can grow into. It ought to be the natural outgrowth of people maturing in their Christianity elsewhere. <clears throat> and in our day, unfortunately, what we've seen is disenchanted Catholics, Roman Catholics, often jumping to the evangelical church, mm -hmm. which is in many ways just papism without the Pope. Mm -hmm. um, now you have a million popes instead of one. Me and my Bible, hyper-emotional. Um, you know. Finally, you're doing something for Jesus in the end. Right. you got to do something, yeah. Um, or jumping from evangelicalism to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy and either not recognizing Lutheranism as a natural landing spot or even worse, maybe looking into it and it not being as right. they see it um, manifested wherever they're looking as a natural landing spot. Um, part of the challenge, right, in history is always to kind of like recognize it's not always your moment, but sometimes it will be your moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't mean moment like in the people love to quote Billy Graham saying supposedly mm -hmm. Lutheranism is like a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mean like that. I mean a moment like, um, there's just a time when you're needed, um, in a different way or more than you maybe otherwise you're the person who helps the person who breaks down on the side of the road <clears throat> because you happen to have a, t a toe strap, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, that this, uh, that you can be of assistance. And in a time when people are tempted to leave Christianity entirely because it, um, because of it lacking depth or it becoming, as you said, too much of one thing, or at a time when people are jumping around within Christianity, and this is a big American, I mean, church shopping has been. Um, you have plenty of churches that have a ton of people coming through the front door, but guess what? What you often don't notice is people going out the back. Um, you know, when there is a moment to, to be stable and to be solid and to say, you know what? Altar and pulpit. You know what? Good works do matter, and Christ does them through you vocationally. Um, you know, you know what? It yes, be a good citizen, but also realize um, that the the church has its own mission and, and goals that, yeah. that have that are um, 
and it's not to baptize the culture or the nation and marry that to Jesus. Um, to have a church that says, you know what? We respect history. We even have churches named after people from history. Um, but at the same time, we're always going to be about Christ. And those people are talked about because they point to Christ. Um, to have a church that can navigate things and, and recognizes Christian freedom and says, yeah, sometimes things should be changed um, to better uh, accommodate our mission, while at the same time, historically at least, says, but it ought to be really thoughtful and rooted in a, a solid theology. Um, that would be a safe haven um, and um, a voice that the broader church and the culture could really use. And I think that's another thing that we as Lutherans, but Christians in general can learn from Luther, is few people in history have had as much of a voice. But a voice that, while it sometimes said very regrettable things, and we've hit on that, and while it sometimes stuck its nose in places maybe it didn't belong, for the most part, a voice that really tried to stay on message and really tried to know its place um, and yet was able to speak to just about every aspect of life from a remarkably Christ-centered, vocational, um, biblical point of view um, that's something we could remember too um, because we're, we're really good in our circles at talking to each other and that's important mm -hmm. it is pastors go to conference lay people be in church right go to Bible class um, but to talk to others too not just in a way of for evangelism although that's important um and not necessarily in ways that are going to violate uh, the doctrine of fellowship. But there's way more opportunities than we realize to be engaged that don't violate a doctrine of fellowship. Um, let people know we're there. And to let people know, even if they're never going to know you join your church, um, that there's a gospel that's entirely for you and entirely in Christ and biblical without being biblicist. Um, and is um, is given to you through word and sacrament um, and is earthy in a way few other theologies can be because it's rooted in the word who took flesh. And I don't know, if, yeah. I'll, I'll stop there, Mike, but I, I, I do think um, Luther's voice... Um, is needed as much today as it was then. And um, we don't worship Luther. And Luther is not, it's not like Jesus Luther, mm -hmm. right? There's there's a whole cloud of witnesses. There's testimonies of fathers in the faith. But the distinctives of his theology, which ought to be uh, <laughs> distinctives, not just of the Lutheran church, but of a Catholic, a Christian yeah. church, um, are very important today. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the whole Lutheran moment thing, I remember thinking about that very early. And then early on, as I was sort of getting into 
studying modernism, postmodernism, trying to wrap my head around that word that was floating out there that nobody had ever defined for me. And um, I've been hearing that a little bit more often. Um, and, and I think there's something to it. Um, when, when we think about, okay, great epics, you know, okay, medieval to modern, now modern to whatever's coming next, um, that's when a lot of fun stuff scary stuff, exciting stuff, sometimes violent stuff, um, uh, tends to occur a reformation Renaissance, um, in the, in the, you know, 1500s, 1600s. And maybe we're at that, that five, 500 year period where, where things do kind of change in, in a profound way. And I, sometimes I think that the Lutheran church in America, especially, it, especially in America tends to only see things through cultural, political kind of ways. So you really, the difference between one Lutheran church and the other Lutheran church, really, if you wanted to predict something is, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And uh, uh, that's really, really, really unfortunate because what I think our world needs more than anything else right now is a grown up in the room just to speak. And while Luther could be fiery and a jerk and, petty at times, um, often was the grown up in the room who had said, who wouldn't suffer fools. And that's, you know, on him for, for on on some things, but like, just not going to put up with the nonsense that falls for arguments. Right. And, and he does make fun of faulty arguments too much, but that's maybe something you kind of need right now. I think another way that this is a Lutheran moment is when you think about some key things besides justification by grace through faith alone. Um, there is that incarnational sacramental, but word preaching kind of attitude, um, that flows into, you know, what, what is liturgy I'm coming in the presence of God. I'm getting God's good gifts. Worship is finally faith as our confessions would say. Um, this of course goes into vocation the the intricate way God is going to be intimate with His world, uh, word and sacrament, but then also on, on the in 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 our daily lives and vocation that em- embraces the arts and music. And all of that kind of is not anti-physical, therefore anti-art, but also not wanting them to be garbage, you know, marketed right for whatever. And I think uh, another thing to um, and, and I would say this is, this is me with an apologetic background, but also thinking about our culture right now, that there's a, there's a, there's a lack of a theology of suffering in our world. So in the modern period, suffering had no meaning. You try to eradicate it with what I say, the three P's of psychology, a pill or a policy. Um, now in a postmodern world, we are acutely aware of suffering but often the answer um, create more <laughs> uh, is to um, take your suffering as something that is almost a badge of honor and negative theology of the cross. Um, uh, might makes right flipped upside down, right? This is was predictable if you read Nietzsche and others, right? Um, so if we think about the lack of a theology of suffering, 
how do you put the spiritual with the physical together? And a true epistemology coming off of a modern where reason and science can figure out everything. These are, I would argue, the three underneath postmodern questions. What do you do with suffering and evil? How do you put the physical and spiritual? And what's your epistemology? Those are the, I think, three philosophical questions of all time, but take a postmodern uh, um, uh, style vibe today. And when I look in particularly at the theology of the cross, and this is why I say, and I'm thinking about his Heidelberg disputation, when I'm thinking about, in an apologetic sense, ministering and talking with a, this changing culture, the theology of the cross does offer, offer an epistemology that the word of God, right, is going to trump my reason. And that's actually very reasonable. And this is something that I think is um, attractive is not the right word, but understood by our culture that understands that truth, even though I would maintain that we can get to truth and truth exists, we can understand that the way the human brain works is much more about emotion and power and feeling rather than actually finding truth. And I think postmodernism's uh, wrong way to do this, but the fact that they pointed out was a good way that modernity did not have it all figured out. And when it comes to epistemology, that is how we know what we know, the study of knowledge. And I think that the theology of the cross offers something that is sober about our will getting in the way of reason. And yet there is truth. And this is how the truth is. Even if I have to believe with my eardrums rather than my eyeballs, go with what God says rather than what I see empirically and, and judge. I think that um, God coming to us in a physical way in the incarnation than in word and sacrament is a touchstone when we talk about the physical and the spiritual, the soul and the body, all those kinds of things. And certainly the theology of the cross offers a way uh, of trying to understand as much as we can suffering, evil, and pain. That it offers what I would say is a fourth way to understanding um, um, why there could be and what the meaning of suffering is in the world. And what I mean by a fourth way is the classic problem of evil is how could there be an all-loving God and an all-powerful God and yet a world of evil? And option number one is God's just not all that powerful. Sometimes the devil wins, sometimes God wins. You live, you die, good luck. Uh, option number two is God is not all loving. That's even worse. He doesn't care enough to stop it. You live, you die, good luck. Option number three, to the great delight of atheists, is there's probably just no God. You live, you die, good luck. And I would say there's a fourth option, and that is God is in charge of evil, which sounds awful, terrible, unexplainable, and that's all true. It's a paradox. The hidden God, theology of the cross, things are flipped upside down. Sometimes what is good is actually evil and vice versa. That this is something that's very profound and in a world that's acutely aware of suffering and is not going to accept that suffering as collateral damage of human progress, but is going to see it in terms of injustice and justice and injustice. Um, that, that doesn't get you to, to um, any kind of conclusion that is satisfactory, right? Because you're not going to get rid of evil. 
um, and all you do is going to punish the the evildoers, and then the evildoers are going to fight back. And yeah, so um, there are some things that are very Pauline here. I would say very Augustinian here, and certainly very Lutheran here, that are particularly um, applicable to our society, especially compared to the modern era that we came out. And I don't think it's on accident that vocation, that the theology of the cross, that a liturgical renewal is happening in our generation, that a couple generations ago, those things were academic curiosities at best in even Lutheran circles, but things that were not relevant to their, to the late modern society. So I, I, if we could say there's a Lutheran moment, I think you could make an argument for that being right now. Although I would argue it's always a moment for Christianity, read authentic classical Christianity of which Lutheran Lutheranism is, uh, in, in the long line of. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, another thing maybe, um, worth hitting on is, uh, the importance of Luther is also um, a re- ought to be tempered with a reminder that Michael, you are not, and I am not, and no one listening is Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a temptation amongst many Lutherans um, to want to have their vorms their 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 died of vorms moment um we love a good conversion or stand up moment don't or we? to um adopt polemics from a different day and age um like luther may have used um to maybe revel in um what today would be rudeness and coarseness um that maybe was not to the same degree um, to uh, ironically not bear with, with the weak, which is something that Luther was very careful to do. Um, to to think that somehow our day is more different than his than it was in the sense that there's a lot of Christians and a lot of Lutherans who just they honestly don't know mm-hmm. and. When you're on social media or you're loud in your parish about stuff that you're just thinking everything, this should all be acting and perfect and everyone should know this. Most don't. Um, Luther didn't, didn't, didn't um, force the peasants to take the cup right away, right? For, <clears throat> for instance, in communion. Um, a reminder that as we've talked about the importance of Luther and his voice, and we've had some fun. We've we've laughed at some of his insults. We've um, uh, complimented his ability to play the polemical game of the 16th century. Um, to recognize that just as uh, just as for the Roman Catholics, there's one pope, right? And um, you get plenty of Catholics who want to be pope when they disagree about something. Um, and uh, just as, you know, there's one Michael Jordan in basketball. Everybody always wants to debate who is Michael Jordan. Um, you are not, 
I am not. Those listening are not. You're not Pope. Um, you don't get just just decree. Luther didn't get to do that. You're not Michael Jordan. I, I'm going to guarantee. I've seen a lot of our listeners. I, I've seen you jump. It's better than me. But, um, uh, and you're also not Luther. Um, and in some ways, that's a wonderful thing too. You don't have some of the faults that Luther had. Um, but uh, that we do. Um, hopefully, this series has not been hagiography. Um, has not been a polishing over of the the shortcomings or the mistakes. Um, while I do think, like, if John Paul II gets to be a saint, like Luther should be in the church calendar, you know? Um, but um, I don't mean that in a way that um, Luther was had some um, divine... Uh, you know, indwelling that others did not, or that Luther even had um, a uh, um, you know a personal charism or grace that that others didn't. Uh, but Luther did have a very sharp mind, and Luther had a very sharp mind that was paired with a love of Christ, an understanding of what it is to be a human being. Um. And I would say as well, a very pastoral heart. And those are the things I'd really like to see us dwell on. Because I, I do fear that while we're talking about a Lutheran moment, um, can I can I request earmuffs? Mm-hmm. Um, so parents, maybe uh, put some, some earmuffs on. The kids, kids don't listen to what what Pastor Johnston is about to say. A lot of us can really be assholes, and um, and think that we're being like Luther for, in doing so. And that's not a service to the gospel; it's an impediment. Um, and I say that as someone, Michael. Who are the guys I've studied? Clacius, Luther, guys with Luther. rough edges. Yeah. Guys that knew how to insult people. Mm-hmm. Michael, why do you think I was drawn to that? Um, just to balance out your very cuddly, kind <laughs> demeanor. Right. And um, you've known me enough. You're, there's an attraction. and There's when we're young and dumb. <laughs> and I don't think in our friend circle I was the only one. Mm, no. Who liked knowing something. Um, it, and often those those things that I knew, they have made me a better pastor. Once I yeah. Once God tempered them. Kind of prerequisite for being a seminary student. Right. Yeah. Um, guys, and especially pastors, um, recognize that just as Luther was dealing with a woefully uncatechized world, that's why he had to write catechisms and hymns. Mm-hmm. We are too. And if, if Luther still has a voice, and if Lutheranism has a moment, <laughs> you need to recognize the people that that we are called to give Jesus to are about as uncatechized as any group of Christians in history, sadly, given all the resources we have. And that those from outside Christianity, who may still consider them some Christians, but they haven't practiced in whatever 
um, they they are coming with some questions that maybe have never even crossed our minds if we were raised in very devout um, circles. And uh, one of the bad things Luther did is right he um probably set back any really meaningful ability to um, have discourse with the Reformed and influence them in a positive way by how he spoke about Zwingli's death. Right? Is that fair, Michael? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's let's be careful how we do that, too. And I say that especially um, because with social media today, we can amplify um, our... I don't want to say earmuffs again, but <clears throat> read the room. Uh, say mm-hmm. say what I'm saying nicer than me, whatever yeah. you think I'm trying to say, Michael. Well, I, I think the caveat here, and then maybe I'll, I'll go back to your question or your, your or suggestion. Or am I being unfair even? No. Is today when we, whether it be in like an apologetic argument that you're making, whether it be commentary on the culture or whether it be uh, this correct doctrine or not that correct doctrine, almost inevitably, either it has to do with the law or ends up being about the law, where for Luther, I think, with mistakes, no doubt, his major thrust and what he was fighting for was the gospel, and I would argue, this is a concept we need to talk more about, access to the gospel. If you don't preach the gospel on Sunday, you have taken, in, one, in that little 10, 20 minute period, you have denied access to the gospel. Um, and, and I think that a lot of our ethnicity, as you might say, our righteousness <laughs> is... Um, law-driven or ends up being in the law. Two-kingdom theology would be a perfect example. Luther's thrust about two kingdoms and his criticism of what was going on in 16th century... the state out of the gospel. ...was so that the gospel does not get lost. The average Lutheran pastor right now when talks about two kingdoms often is talking in a context or, let's say, through the lens of American individual freedom. And there's a difference there. And the difference is what was finally the goal. The goal was don't mix it because if you mix it, you, you mix law and gospel finally, and you lose the gospel always. The gospel always loses when you mix law and gospel. So I, I think what, what you're trying to say is, um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a Lutheran pride, especially coming out of maybe the last couple of generations who were like downplay, you know, downplay this Lutheranism. Um, and that pride is, is sometimes off-putting mm-hmm. because it takes the, the passion and fire and even polit- polemical nature of Luther's writings and sermons and attitude, but does not, but does not place it into uh, keeping the gospel in, into this this idea of keeping the gospel predominating and in front and center access to the gospel, but rather for some sort of kind of, I'm better than the culture. The triumphalism. I'm, 
I'm better than the previous generation of, of Lutherans. Yeah. And <laughs> it can be extremely off-putting. And that right there is often an impediment to the gospel. And it, while that person may be very interested in some very good things, um, the approach taken becomes very stagnant and it's not going to um, bear fruit long term. Yeah. Um, the good things have the ability to draw people to themselves if we just get out of the way, and I think this fits with your access of the, to the gospel yeah, thing, yeah. and let them do it. When we use good things and to some degree then make them about us or a way of self-justification, um, maybe not before God even, but to, to validate our ministry or our our sense of having a, a voice in the church be needed. Um, and and I, I say this again completely from a point of this has been a major failing in my own person in yeah, ministry. Yeah. We're speaking, we're preaching to ourselves here. Um, uh, that that, um, I hope, what did we say, 66 sessions? Mm-hmm. Um, that in the course of that, we saw that things were a lot more complicated than we we often realize. Many more things needed to be navigated than we often realize. Lots of friends are helping Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes telling him to chill, um, giving counsel. Um, and uh, and there are times he does things he gravely regrets. Philip of Hesse our most scandalous session ever. Mm-hmm. Um, his later writings regarding the Jews, um, how he went after, at times, um, individuals yep. beyond just their thought. Some of his closest friends. Uh-huh. Um, that we uh, that we be careful with that, too. Yet at the same time that we appreciate, well, I think sometimes people look at Luther and go, see, Luther is why... We just can't tolerate anything, you know, that isn't perfectly act in our midst. A lot of these controversies um, that broke out after Luther's death, um, probably part of the reason that they're there is that Luther at times, especially, for instance, he and Melanchthon, um, Luther could appreciate the place and purpose of someone who was able to articulate things in a different way or have some different emphases. Now, that doesn't mean that Luther would have been cool with um, arguments that were made regarding the free will later. Um, but there was a degree of latitude in Wittenberg that maybe we can appreciate sometimes, um, too. So I just I want to offer that caution as we go, too, because um, it's... And, and you see this in Roman Catholicism, too, when you have prominent figures, especially the saints... That someone will look to them and think that by mimicking their personality, or I would say their personal piety, so not necessarily piety that's unique to the church as a whole, mm-hmm. but you know, St. Francis of Assisi is you know, going to go you know, talk to animals and, mm-hmm. and rebuild old churches. And they all think, well, I will just do that too, and then, right, I'll become like that person in whatever they want to emulate. Um, that's not the, we're not going to be able to go to Vorms. 
we're not going to spend, you know, um, a decade with extreme asceticism in a, uh, in a monastery. Well, you are a Staupitz of sorts for me, Michael. <laughs> we're not all going to have a Staupitz. Um, we're, we're not going to be excommunicated by the Pope. Um, I think technically we are, but you are for sure. I, I don't know that it's on the books. I have to look okay. into that. Right. Um, but what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, what's cool about Francis, and I like Francis, is, you know, what animated him. Not always how it manifested. And I think you put that very well with Luther, and I like that, that what he often got most worked up about um, was what I would say we could argue historically, it seems, as as Melanchthon says it, his funeral oration, was his calling, this Elijah-like prophetic role. He was a voice calling for the gospel to be proclaimed and people um, not to be denied it. And that animated him. Um, more than just him being right, although to be fair, he himself would acknowledge he struggled with also wanting to be wanting to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're going to get worked up as as church in 2022, that would be a great reason to get worked up is that people aren't getting the gospel. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's maybe that's something for all of us to step back. And in honor of Luther, you know what I'm going to do? If if John Paul II gets to be a saint, I'm going to say St. Luther, St. Martin. <laughs> in his honor, maybe what we can do um, is a little examination of conscience and step back, all of us, and say, what is getting me most worked up? And say, um, you know what I can do to the glory of God, a, a thoroughly Christian thing? A wonderful example Luther gave that I could follow <clears throat> is to take that stuff and realize it's not, it's way more prominent in my life than it ought to be and chill um, and be about the gospel and not in some schmaltzy mm-hmm. 90s evangelical <clears throat> be about the gospel sort of way. Um, but be a, a forgiven and freed and a Lotharios, um child of God and in that freedom, um, see other people in the light of that same work of Christ um, and want that for them. And, and let that be what animates you and, and really gets you worked up if you get worked up. It'd be a good maybe a topic for our next episode, something along those lines. Yeah. You got anything else you want to wrap up with? Nope, I think this was good. I talked a lot. I apologize. Nope, it was perfect. I think, uh Yeah. It is about the gospel and the freedom of the gospel. And uh, if you are Lutheran and uh, want to carry on this torch and you veer from that in any way, you're carrying a different torch. And I think that's uh, that's a good lesson. Uh, that's something to say to yourself before you write every Bible class, write every devotion, go to any church service, preach any sermon for both uh, the clergy and the laity alike. Model and catechize things for your kids. Yeah, so it's good. I'm kind of sad. I forgot to say, but kids, you can take your earmuffs off. Oh now. yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is a sad day, but I'm glad we finished. Yeah, I also have mixed emotions. Yes, we'll have to think of a uh, uh, maybe a new. We'll probably take a break, but think of a new uh, winging it series. Maybe start it up in the fall. We, you know what we should do in honor of this is you should get a tattoo of the 
the Luther series. Luther. I'm not getting because we've accomplished this. I'm not getting that tattoo. Get somewhere people won't see it. I don't. I don't. I. Why mess with perfection? Get a little part of your head shaved. Get it there, <laughs> and then grow your hair back out. Grow the hair back out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, tune in next time to find out if Michael has gotten <laughs> a Luther tattoo. And in the yeah. meanwhile, uh, we'll let the bird fly. Another round, another round, one more round won't get me down.